Hey, 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 I hope everyone is out there thriving today. This is TJ Murphy and welcome to another episode of Adventurous Entrepreneurs. My guest today is Dennis Dumas. From ex-con to fitness icon, Dennis is somebody who has experienced the hardships needed to develop an unbreakable resiliency and an undying desire to pay things forward. A little unusual here. I'm going to do things differently. I'm going to read a quick excerpt from Dennis's biography to really set the stage here, because this man has an incredible story. For the first time in his life, Dennis was truly alone, and he was terrified. He had just been transferred to Chino State's prison, notorious Palm Hall tier, home for the hard cases. The prison called it administrative segregation, but the inmates called it what it was, the hole. No heat, no AC, no hot water, total isolation other than their cellmates, and one hour of yard time each month. In Palm Hall, bad things happen to bad people. Dennis didn't know it, but he was about to embark on an improbable, remarkable journey from the scrap heap of the criminal justice system to the top of the fitness industry. Dennis is the founder of the award-winning Transformations Nutrition Program and has over 20 years of fitness experience and 37-plus years of martial arts experience, during which he has owned and or consulted for over 300 fitness facilities, helping them design and build their operations and their offerings and scale their businesses across three continents. Today, Dennis and his team operate the Yard Fitness here in beautiful Bend, Oregon, where they serve the Bend community and offer the only kickboxing and strength training small group session classes here in town. At the Yard, he and his team also help incubate and deliver programming for major fitness brands and small studios across the country. Just a few of the golden takeaways Dennis shares in this episode are the difference between learned perspective and earned perspective and how to apply both to achieve more success in business and in life. A mindset shift that can help you talk to and learn from people making 10x, 100x, 1,000 times plus more than you do, and how to build a culture that represents you and breeds success. So much goodness to dive into today. So without further ado, this is me and Dennis Dumas. Welcome to the Adventurous Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Murphy. Since quitting my corporate nine to five and starting a business while backpacking through Asia back in early 2017, I've had the privilege of learning from some incredibly adventurous entrepreneurs. Through these conversations and my own journey, I've learned that much like in life, entrepreneurship is an adventure. On this podcast, I explore the journeys of top performing leaders in their fields. These wide ranging conversations include tactical business advice, how I built this insights, lessons in leadership, life hacks, travel stories, favorite hobbies, and insights into living a purposeful and joy-filled life. Adventures await us, so let's dive in. Hey, hey, Dennis, welcome to Adventurous Entrepreneurs. Hey, TJ, thank you very much. Excited to be here and, uh, and share it in conversation with you and hopefully uh, share some insights and things that are helpful for listeners. Likewise, man. I've been, uh, been looking forward to this ever since we first met a couple of weeks ago. I really appreciated your energy, you talking about your commitment and, and how you've been able to really take this journey you've been on from you know serving time and, and going through some rough periods early on in life to now scaling multiple businesses and giving back to your communities in some pretty powerful ways. So there's lots to unpack here and 
I'm excited to dive in. So let's let's get to it. I want to start with a bit of background on your story. So from ex-con to now fitness icon, you've you've been on a journey that's really grounded in resiliency and and work ethic. Can you tell us a little bit about your story through the rough times and how you you really grinded your way to the top of the fitness industry? Well, I will start by saying that the, the, you know, one of the key things for us is when we were young, it was the work ethic part. You know, we come from a a family of entrepreneurs. Um, Of course, back then they didn't really use that word, you know, it's a a new buzzword, Uh, but really it just means to be self-employed, to create and to earn your way. Um, And I think a lot of times these days, that last part, the earn your way part um, is forgotten or at least people don't want it uh, to be in the forefront of what they have to go do because going, you know, work ethic isn't um, as celebrated as it used to be. And for us growing up, you know, we grew up in some pretty rough places and all of that, but we also grew up watching uh, the men in our lives, uh, you know, create businesses and always work either for each other or for themselves. And that all started in the construction industry. Excuse me. My lungs are still burning from today's workout. Yeah, no worries. Uh, <laughs> Get it out. <laughs> yeah, it it all you know they they all started in the construction and lighting business, but the the main thing that they showed us was that you get up and you go to work, and as long as you as long as you work hard and you're you know you're smart with what the result of that hard work is each time, then then you can compound on that and and create something pretty special. And you know, my dad dropped out of school in the eighth grade and went to work. Um, and raised us from from then you know he was very 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 young when I was born and I and I have an older sister and so he's been he's been doing the responsibility family thing for quite some time from a very young age when most of us aren't um, even able to take care of ourselves and so I've watched him grow in that you know and for me that's what really drove the work ethic side of things Um, and it's just kind of blind faith and understanding that if you really want it and you go work for it, that it'll come to fruition. And, you know, that's mostly been true. There's been, there's been a lot of times where you thought you worked very hard for something that you wanted and didn't get, but uh, those, those are the times that, you know, go back to the resiliency word and really drive home that resiliency. Cause if, if everything just keeps coming easy, then you really have no battle tested, you know, philosophies, you have no scars, you have no way to uh, to to rebuild or or to you know find solutions, and so for me there's been a lot of that and it but it's never really bothered me because you know we've always been able to to bounce back and some people over the years have asked me how you know you respond so easily to challenges or to losing a deal or to you know having let's say COVID for example having sure. to close 15 gyms and all these other things that we had to do. Um, people, you know, we didn't, we never panicked. We, were we scared and emotional and sad and mad and all of those things? Sure. But we always had this underlying idea and sense of security that we could earn back what we needed to do uh, to support ourselves. We've never been reliant on others. We've never, we've never really pushed. Um, you know, we've, we've had one, I've had one corporate job ever. Um, and I went into that looking to learn, not necessarily looking to find a permanent home. Yeah. Um, as far as careers are concerned. So 
that was all that's all part of those building blocks that were they were taught to us when we were really young though you know to be able to to fend for yourself and expect nothing else from anybody else and and count on yourself um so that that's kind of where the resiliency side of it comes from and you know what that includes having to restart my life post prison um you know i i paroled in 2008 to a crashed economy and one of the worst yeah. uh, crashes in the history of our country and um, the whole time that I was in trouble, I was planning and building on what I was going to come out and do. And most of that, when I came home, was just not an option. You know, it just wasn't there. And so I had to become very creative again to follow that dream of getting out of the construction and lighting business and into serving people in the fitness health business. Um, and, you know, to do that, it it really took a lot of cool creativity. Um, you know, our, our first gym, just to give listeners an idea of what it takes when there isn't any money. Yeah. Um, we, you know, I started my first gym by going out to other country clubs and businesses, tennis clubs and things that were in the town that I was living in and offering my gym to them for free and then counting on myself to be able to upsell into the services that were important to me. And, and it worked, you know, it was slow going and, and a lot of, a lot of scary times, but it worked. And that to me is the, <clears throat> at the heart of the resiliency side is it, you know, being resilient doesn't mean just, just getting things done. And if you hit a, a hiccup and getting things done, it's having multifaceted solutions for problems. Um, and, and that really, honestly, TJ, that to me is, is built in one of two ways. You either have earned perspective or learned perspective. Mm -hmm. And earned perspective is hard because you got to go out there and 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 earn the scars and the battle wounds and all the things that come with that. Learned perspective is hard because most people are too judgmental to have learned perspective. So, for example, with my story, you know, a lot of people when they hear what I did and what I where I've been and where I'm from they shut down. They automatically think, oh, well, there's not, you know, this person doesn't come from this, this cookie cutter background of business and college and universities and, and all of these things. This person doesn't come from a, a place that people are familiar with. So for example, most people will never walk into a neighborhood like where I grew up. No. And, and yet they, you know, side note, yet they still speak on it on social media as if they understand things. But for, for me, you know, that, that, always created this this picture for me that I could see where people would shut down, right? And it wouldn't just be for backgrounds like mine. It could be the other way around. It could be a, a young kid coming from a messed up background and a, lots of challenges who then shuts off listening to somebody who's very successful. Yeah. They think, oh, well, you, you don't understand me, so I'm not going to listen anymore. You had it easier than me is the assumption when it's the other way around. Uh, and and you don't respect where I come from, and so I shut down. But really, learned perspective is where the where where you can really grow, because you can learn perspective a lot faster than you earn it. 100%. And what I've found is that it what it takes is this unbiased, open-minded, judgment-free mindset, to where you can actually put yourself in the shoes of the person that's in front of you without judgment, and actually consider that it could be you. And consider that it could have been you that came from a different place. 
and how would you react and how would you learn and how would you accept people and all of those things? So for me, the perspective has been a key driver in my resiliency because, you know, it, we, we have a joke, a running joke in our, the people that are close to me because I spent, I spent a year in a cell that was six and a half by eight feet that you come out of for about a month or excuse me, for about a half hour a month. And otherwise you're locked in there and you're freezing when it's cold and you're hot when it's hot and there's no cold or there's no hot water. It's all ice cold water and it's bad, you know, and you're always on edge because there's always a possibility of, of a lot of violence and crazy things going on. Um, so now we make a joke whenever things are hard, we say, well, it's not as bad as Chino. There you go. Uh, and, and that's that perspective, you know, that it, 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 that it can be worse and that you know the feeling of what it's like when it's worse. And I think that that's at the heart of resiliency. I think that's that's at the heart of people being able to compartmentalize things um, and overcome things. Because without it, you everything seems overwhelming. Yeah. And I like how you bring up the two perspectives because, yeah, as you said, the earned perspective is hard. You have to have those battle scars. You have to have gone through it and adapted and you know build up that mental toughness for when life throws VUCA at you for it's a marine term, vulnerability, uncertainty, um, complexity, ambiguity. Basically when life throws a shitstorm at you, what are you going to do? How are you going to show up? And either you know what you do because you've been there before and you can adapt and come up with those creative solutions. Or as you said, you've been open-minded and learned from others. And that's a great segue because in prep for this interview, I read something that I wanted to fact check with you. I read that growing up, you would help your dad working for his electrical contracting business, right? Mm -hmm. And when you would be on the job, you would go to the wealthy side of town sometimes because you wanted to talk to the homeowners about how they achieved their success. Am I right on that? Yeah. So yeah. the... the my dad's business was in 99% of the business was um, building custom homes. Yeah. And we did all the lighting and electrical side of that. But um, when you're in the construction business, you become very tight with all of the different tradesmen and from the general contractors and everybody all the way down. Um, but we would, you know, we never did work in our own neighborhood. No one, no one no. can afford to, to hire service people like that, you know? So we would, all of our contracts that we had and all of our, um, our relationships were in the wealthier side of town. And for me, when we would arrive, I would always just want to talk to everybody. Some of them, it was fun because they're celebrities, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of golfers. We did, you know, we've, we've wired homes for a ton of the, you know, most famous golfers and people. And so they're fun to talk to, but I would always just want to understand how they got where they were. And I didn't ever, you know, because of that experience, I never had this objection that wealthier people were somehow trying to hold us down or that there was some, you know, machine that was working against us. Um, I just, we never had that perspective because I got to know these people. And when I would ask the question of how you do this, they were open to want to share. They yeah. always wanted to tell you and learn and, 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 and help you learn. And that was the complete opposite of what people from my neighborhood would say about wealthier folks, right? The rich people don't care. There's it, you know, there's all these, all these assumptions that are made, but in my life, in reality, when I would approach these people, all they wanted to do was give me their time and, yeah. and talk and to be really, you know, transparent, they were, they were paying me to be there. 
you know, because mm-hmm. we're there to work. So yeah, <laughs> I'm on the clock and they're, they're they're actually paying me to execute a service that they would rather tell me how to be successful and on their own time, you know, so mm-hmm. that, that to me, that that's a very telling um, thing. And it's also, you know, socially in this country right now, there's so many disconnects um, that people people put up and 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 try to divide each other with that aren't true they're just not they're just not true and and you know there's a lot of current events going on um where social media gives everyone a voice and quite frankly a lot of times i wish they didn't have it yeah because they're they're just saying things that aren't true and they're out of context um and everybody's speaking from their their house you know from where they're at without safety of your four walls around you uh, and and to me that's that's a problem right it's 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 done more harm than good in my opinion yeah i'm with you there but i love the fact that because you had an open mind you were you were young you were eager to learn even though they were paying you to come do a job that eagerness and that openness and that just desire to learn opened up doors to actually get you know, some coaching, some free coaching and, and learn from these people that clearly had, you know, found success in, in various aspects of their lives. And I've found, you know, when you are that way, when you do have an open mind, when you're willing to ask for help or ask those questions, human beings, we genuinely care and we genuinely do want to help people as much as we can and share the experiences that have helped us to get where we're at in life. And I'd be curious, were there any things that that you learned through those conversations? Were there any like memorable ones that helped form habits, views, or ultimately that drive that that enabled you to make some big things happen in your life? Yeah, I think there's a few things. I think, you know, or this is, we're talking the late nineties, early two yeah. thousands, when I started my first businesses in 1999. And, you know, the, the stuff that they would tell me about what was coming, right? So, we we ended up moving into uh, light design and developing, uh, or excuse me, building and designing fully automated software-driven houses. Mm-hmm. And we were we had a leg up on that coming into our industry because of some of these people that were in the tech world, which wasn't even a real term in the '90s, right? They weren't in the tech world; like, it wasn't a thing. And and but they were. We just didn't we just didn't understand what was out there. And so we would always get these insights about what's coming down the pipeline and and where to maybe focus and adjust business for opportunity uh, when that technology becomes available. And I would say that's probably the the most uh, tangible thing that we listened to and learned and, and executed on uh, that provided success for us. Um, the other part of it, I would say that's a little bit more subjective is just being emotionally, you know, having a really high emotional IQ and being able to separate my woes from the world's woes and take responsibility for the things that you have responsibility over. Um, I think one of the be- the fastest ways to separate and, and eliminate opportunity from your life is to feel sorry for yourself. Um, and that victimhood mentality is <clears throat> something that is not welcomed by people who do big things. You know, the, the there's there's a media vibe out there that some that pushes and kind of condones that. But in the real world, when it comes down to executing on tangible real life things that earn money, build businesses, serve people, that shit's not welcome, dude. Like people don't want to have you coming in feeling sorry for yourself. 
And so there was a, a really, there was a lot of really good conversations around that, around where you're from is actually your advantage. Where, you know, what a lot of people who come from, you know, different backgrounds don't understand about one another is that our only true superpower that we can have that you can't have is our history. Yeah. Like you, you can't have it. It's mine. And, and I can choose to make it into an incredible tool or to make it the biggest anchor. And that's going to be up to me. And these people would tell us that all the time. They would, they would tell me things like when you get into higher education or job competitive spaces, you are going to be more adept, more adept at adjusting and reapplying and going after things than the kids who are fourth generation Harvard, you know, yeah. That have just been and, we just we don't give up because and we also don't have a, an expectation that we just belong right there's no entitlement coming out of that space it's actually uh, the opposite you know we feel like we have to earn our way more and that that mindset was drilled into me from a lot of those folks for a long time and we're not just talking about our customers there's you know we worked for a lot of uh a lot of really really successful general contractors yeah whose businesses were massive compared to ours and getting to hang out with them and talk to them and learn from them and all of that, you know, leadership stuff that, that I learned at a young age, watching them talk to their employees, uh, watching my dad talk to his employees, the way that they, what they expected from employees, what they expected from themselves back to those employees. Um, you know, my dad was always the guy that would outwork everybody and it was his company. Like he was the one that would be like, no, no, we're going to stay longer. We're going to, we're actually, and I know it's dark, but we have lights. We're going to, we're going to get it done work. Yeah. And just get the yeah. job done. And everyone else is like wanting to go home, you know, but the leader of it all, the guy who makes more money than everybody else wants to stay. And, and those kinds of lessons are invaluable. And there was a lot of them, a lot of them. Yeah, absolutely. And it all comes back to that learned perspective being a sponge and, and always having that attitude of opportunities to learn all around you. Clearly that's been huge. And I wanted to get a little bit more fact-checking for my research. So when you went to jail, you had to make friends in order to stay safe. And you were 300 pounds, I believe at the time. So you had to get in shape. You had to survive plain and simple all while going cold Turkey from drugs. So that would have been it for the vast majority of people in that situation. They would have caved in, but you had a vision and you were determined to make it and get back on that path to success. So I'm curious what some of the core habits or, or beliefs or routines you adopted while you were serving time and, and how you've been able to use those first to make it out. And, and come out on top, but then like, how are you able to take those lessons and apply them in your businesses and in your life in general? So <clears throat> when I first got in trouble, um, well, backing up a little bit to kind of touch on what you said, yeah. we, we grew up in a neighborhood where my family was pretty much the only white family in the neighborhood. Okay. And so all of our friends, all of our people were, were all his, mostly Hispanic, Mexican for the most part. <clears throat> and then um, um, the rest were black. And for so for us, that's just that's that was normal. And yeah. but going into the institution, um, especially in the county jail, there's a decision that needs to be made um, for survival, for comfort, for whatever you, you want to call it. 
but you have to choose who you're going to be with, what 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 group of people you're going to uh, run with. And for me, it was kind of a no brainer. I didn't know any white people in the jail. <laughs> and so it was just it was just all the people I grew up with were were there, you know, and they knew my whole family. We grew up in the same neighborhood. So that was an easy choice. Um, but what wasn't easy was once you make that choice, what you're responsible for and who you're accountable to. And in the California Department of Corrections, the uh, the Southern Hispanics um, run the institutions. And for the most part, there's a, in the North, there are some uh, jails that are ran by the Northern Hispanics. But at the end of the day, they all report to the same people. Um, and and for me, going in, there, uh, there was a, a guy that I met named Enrique, who unfortunately uh, last year passed away. But um, we, I met him. He was in phenomenal shape. And he pulled me aside and he said, look, it's not going to work like this, right? I mean, I could literally not push myself up, up off the ground. Hmm. Like a single push-up or a burpee or something like that just was not possible. And and so he said, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to work out every day, at least once a day to start. And fortunately for me, he was there with me in the county jail for a large portion of the time that I was there. And so he taught me a lot about movement. And I immediately felt the benefits of it because I chose not to follow along and, and go, continue on to the path of drugs, which is uh, very easy to do in there. It's easier to get drugs in the institutions than it is on the streets. <laughs> So that it wasn't like it was a cold turkey thing because there was no, you know, there wasn't any access. It was a cold turkey thing just because I needed to get my shit together. Yeah. Um, I had lost, I had lost everything. I, you know, even though we were doing the things that we were doing on the, the bad side of stuff and the drug side of stuff, I still had a pretty successful business running um, and, and uh, had gotten to do a lot of things. And so I, I had lost all that. And that 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 motivated me to say, you know what, this is going to have to be a, a holistic and in complete change here. And so I signed off. You know, I was married at the time. Signed off, gave away everything. Said, you know, this is this is on me. So I'm not going to fight any of that. <clears throat> I'm going to focus in here on me, and I'm going to and I'm going to fix the things that I can fix. And so I went to work. And um, Enrique, fortunately, got transferred with me to the first uh, place that I went to in Delano. Um, it's a reception center. Mm -hmm. When I got there, um, I got put in a dorm with, I think it's 400 men. And that's a very dangerous place. Yeah. Uh, all the different factions of people within the institutions, it's very violent um, and crazy spot, especially in a 400 person dorm. So, <laughs> you know, we, we continued down that same path, you know, and I had gotten in pretty good shape at that point, a little bit better shape, I should say. And we continued down that path of training, just every single day, training, 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 training. It, it was the time where you could find um, some peace and quiet and just train and no one would bother you. But the real telling part of the training that, that was happening that I could see was it was the one thing that, that you could do in the institution that everybody kind of rallied around, mm -hmm. right? So what I was, what I was seeing is that as humans, there's really only one true thing that connects us across the board, and that's our health. You know, it's somebody, you see somebody who's coming from chemo and you, you, you feel it in your heart, you tense up, you feel it, you're like, whew, they're, and, and it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if they're black, white, Indian, Asian, doesn't matter. They, they walk in and you feel it, male, female, religion, it's irrelevant. You feel it. 
And because of that, what I was seeing was that movement is the easiest way to express that universal empathy. And and in even in a place where if you share cookies with another race, it's 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 it, it, you'll get stabbed for it. Even in that kind of place, and even though the reason we're working out is so that if there's a riot, we're in shape to fight each other. Yeah, right. Survival all of the fittest. All of those things are known, yet we find a common ground in it, and people would encourage each other. So, for example. After I left that dorm with Enrique, I got very lucky and I was blessed to go to fire camp. Mm -hmm. uh, in fire camp, there is, uh, most of them are just out in the woods. There's no fences, no nothing. The one that I went to was inside of an institution. Um, so each day that we left, we had to go in and out of the main gates of the institution. But inside of that, there was a gated area that was ours for fire camp. And it's dorms instead of cells. Um, and by dorm, I mean, it, it, it's private rooms. There's two guys per room. No, no bars, no, none of that. And so it's a, a huge blessing to get to go there. Yeah. Um, and I took full advantage of it. I got in the best shape of my life. We're leaving the prison every day. You know, we're, we're backpacking, we're hiking, we're in community service every single day. But when we're in the institution, you work out still, you got to train. And especially if you run with the Southern Hispanics, training is mandatory. Um, and so we would be out in this little yard that we have, which is why my gym is called the yard. We would be out in this little yard and we would be training and you would even get cleared like for music, right? So hmm. most of the uh, most of the time, there's this like little pretentious argument over music, right? This group of people over here, Blacks, Asians, whatever, everyone's got a different flavor of music. Everybody wants to hear something different. But when you're working out, they're like, you just put on your music. Everybody's down with it. Nobody cares. Yeah. Right. So I, I found in that moment, this connection around movement. And it's really the driver for me across my entire career. From there, I got kicked out. You know, fire, fire camp was not a big enough punishment for me. Um, it was just, it was the time of my life. And we're flying us around in helicopters and shit. Yeah. And like, this is incredible. Right. But I needed something a little more heavy handed. And so I got it and and uh, I got kicked out. I got sent to the other side of the institution and um, things got really bad there. You know, being being uh, being big, blue eyed white guy does not go over well with with the white folks in the institutions. And so there, I didn't have a lot of friends there. And uh, we had a huge riot that happened. And um, in that riot, I, I got in trouble again. And, but this time, actually, for something that I hadn't done. Um, but what it really made me do was own the fact that anything that happens to me inside of this situation is my fault. Because if I hadn't have done what I'd done, I wouldn't be here to have this happen to me. And so that was a huge life lesson and something that I needed to hear and have happen to me. But it also perpetuated my uh, my reasoning and my you know, and now they call it your why. You know, yeah. There's fancy, there's fancy terminology for everything these days. There is but, this but woke really, world we live in. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a scary one. The, uh, <laughs> the purpose for me in the industry just kept getting, you know, perpetuated through experience. And one of those uh, things is in the the place that I went to in Chino. It's called administrative segregation, and you live in this little six and a half by eight foot cell pretty much all the time. Um, and it's an old institution, all bars and steel and concrete, none of the stuff like you see on TV with the fancy doors and all that. 
this is still old school bars like you saw in, in Al Capone movies. Wow. You know, it's it's like that. And it was built in those times. It was built in the 40s. So I'm there. You can't see anybody. But once again, 5 a.m., it's time to work out, right? So all the Southern Hispanics got to get up and work out. Well, it's 5 a.m. If you're not up for a workout, it kind of sucks that I'm going to start yelling out into this concrete walled area that just echoes and is extremely loud. I'm going to start yelling out the workout for my people. And you know what? Everyone would stay quiet. No one threw a fit about it. You didn't get people yelling and screaming like be quiet or trying to interrupt your workout. And again, it was just for me, another example of the idea of movement being the expression of that empathy and that it's widely accepted, even if people don't really understand why they accept it. This just continued and continued to happen. I came home. Um, I, I leveraged up everything I was taught by all those folks that we talked about earlier. And I leveraged those relationships uh, that I had built as an electrician um, to get my first space, to get my first customers, to do all of that. But again, I started serving a very wealthy public, right? And I mean, we were, it's an expensive gym and it was essentially built around people who were there in Palm Springs on vacation. And so it's very wealthy demographic. And then I learned about a place called Palo Alto, which was like a whole nother planet of wealthy. And, you know, I ended up getting recruited up there and I watched, you know, I'll, I'll make a long story short here. I watched one of the wealthiest men in the world bond with the busboy at his favorite restaurant after 10 minutes in the gym together when they've been, he's been eating at that restaurant and hasn't spoke to him for five years. Yeah. But 10 or 15 minutes in the gym together, they're on the ground, pounding on the ground, cheering each other on. This kid, Fernando's in jeans because <laughs> I snuck him in the back door because he can't afford the membership. Yep. And the guy who's pounding on the ground with them is one of the founders of Google. You know, and they, they've been in this restaurant together over and over and over and never spoke to each other. So it just continued to, to perpetuate my philosophy that fitness is what it is because it is the easiest way for us to express that empathy of our, of our overall health. And that started with, with, a, you know, a guy, Enrique, who went out on a limb with me and, and, and taught me how to move and start doing all of these different things and embedded this energy in me that, that uh, has not died yet. And that was, that was a long, long time ago. Yeah. I mean, I love this. I've never heard it described in that way, but I mean, when we think about movement, when we think about fitness, athletics, I mean, these are all communities. These are all environments that, that bring us closer together and give us a common goal, whether that's, you know, reaching a new PR, winning the football game, winning the wrestling match, you know, whatever your physical <clears throat> challenge is. Yeah. You're competing against people, but there's also that camaraderie behind it and this unified collective spirit of the game that's all focused on your health at the end of the day fitness and, and becoming better so i think that's the perfect segue to bring things forward because clearly the you know time you spent in the institution and getting in shape and and really realizing that movement is this bonding force helped you to figure out what path you were going to go on once you got out so now you're in the fitness space, you're a serial entrepreneur, you've started, you know, countless gyms yourself and helped dozens of others to start and scale, you know, their own gyms. 
tell me a little bit about where where things are at today. Where where's your focus right now here in January, or almost, almost February of 2023? Um, you know, we own we own the yard here in in Bend. Um, it's a kickboxing and kettlebell studio. Um, we it's small and personal, no more than 10 people at a time, very hands-on my style of coaching. Yeah. Um, and, and it's going great. We love it. there. building a, a cool community there, been there for about 18 months, which is not long. Um, and, and we're growing in that and having a lot of fun with it. Um, a big calling for me is to, to speak on and help others in their, their journey in business, especially around fitness. Um, and so as part of that, we've been in the consulting business for some time. We've, we've helped, you know, prior to COVID, we built one of the, the best franchise management software systems in, in existence. We, we built one of the, you know, a, a gold medal winning website up against Disney and Universal. Uh, we, we did, we've done some incredible things in the industry, but what I find lacking in our industry is just overall business acumen and, and that flows right into understanding marketing. Um, And so what we've decided to do this, you know, we just decided to do this last summer is to combine efforts um, with people who are experts in the fields. And so for me, I know how to do the things, you know, that people classify under marketing and digital marketing and all that. Yeah. But I'm not an expert at it. And, And there are a lot of things that should be handed off to experts. And for me, that's, it's one of the things in our industry and in fitness, people try to become a jack of all trades and do all things. And I learned the lesson in my, constru- my construction career a long time ago. You know, I'm really good at lighting and I'm really good at designing the lighting. I'm really good at installing it. We also cause a lot of damage to drywall when we do remodels, <laughs> yeah. right? And so I learned how to do some patching. And as a young entrepreneur that was just scared every day about sales and making money, um, I thought, well, I can do that too. I can do that too. I can do that too. And what I found out is doing all of those extra things made me really shitty at everything. Yeah. And, and that's what's happening to a lot of our industry. And unfortunately, um, it's also being preyed upon by very shady marketing strategies. Yeah. And there's some weird disconnect between the idea of doing business as an attorney, a doctor, a dentist, a construction worker, and doing business in, in fitness, martial arts space. And there shouldn't be. It's a business is a business is a business. And, and fundamentals are, are the same. The, the fundamentals are exactly the same. And what it where it becomes predatory is the fitness business, the exception in the fitness business is that a lot of it is really truly emotional. And, and you're trying to connect with people, right? And so if somebody comes along and says, hey, TJ, I can get you 100 leads by 2.30 and you don't know anything about marketing, you're probably going to buy it. And, and, and they, way too many people do. Yeah. And it sucks because what it does then is take somebody who doesn't know anything about certain business strategies and give them a bad taste in their mouth for those strategies. And so yeah. now you've compounded the obstacle of their success by giving them the impression that the thing they're supposed to be doing doesn't work. Yeah, now they say, oh, digital marketing doesn't work or you know, marketing agencies are all sleazy and, and there to steal your money, which there are plenty of, but is not the case. 
no and it it it's it for some and it's i shouldn't say for some reason i know the reason yeah the reason that the fitness industry is preyed upon around this is because everybody is starving for more clients and success but it's not just a financial starving situation it's an emotionally starving situation right they they have this 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 idea that you know as long as you put them in front of me the leads don't matter but that's also wrong and we all know it for sure anybody you know you, it's like sending it's like let's say you had a an electrician client and a plumbing client and you're like well fuck it i'm going to send my plumbing clients to the electrical client because hey maybe they'll find some common ground like it, it, that, that's not what they're looking for and in our industry in the fitness industry the scarcity mindset is rampant and yeah. people just feel like i want everybody in my gym right and <clears throat> that's a bad idea unless you are just a general gym right like a key card entry mm-hmm. walking to do your own thing fine then but even then you're probably not going to waste your time marketing to people looking for personal training right because you don't have it so there's there's a lot of misunderstanding around un- identifying a market and sticking with it so what we've tried to do this last year is say we know people who are experts in the marketing space. Can I teach it? Yes. Can I build you a website? No. But my guys can. Yeah. Right now. And I had to bring that into the fold. And, you know, do, do I know what programmatic marketing is? Sure. Do I know how to do it? No. no. One of the best sales stories that I hear is from uh, one of my business partners um, that we'll probably talk about here in a second with Endeavor Team Challenge is you know, he, he said he had this sales guy and he owns the marketing firm I told you about. Mm-hmm. He said one of his best sales guys would lead with the question. I don't know, even know how to spell SEO, but I know you, but I know you need it. And That's I great. know you need it. And I know you need it because here's all the customers that I helped get it and look at what they're doing. Yeah. I, and that level of honesty and transparency around everything is, is sorely missed right now in many many facets of our our industry and many others just that that open true like here's what i can do and here's what i can't do um attitude is really really hard to find these days everybody just wants to say they could do it all yeah wants to solve every problem for everybody and can't deliver on those big promises at the end of the day which is why finding the strategic partnerships and and realizing as a business owner or in your role where you're trying to make connections that, yeah, I'm really good at these things. And this is where my time is best allocated, where I can create the maximum benefit for the communities that I serve. And here is my tribe of experts that I can help to connect to the right people. And if you're a business owner, yeah, in the beginning, it's hard. You got to bootstrap some things. You got to learn at least enough to to understand a lot of different parts and, and pieces of the business but as soon as you can take those hats off, the better. I mean, you didn't get in business to do marketing in most cases, unless you own a marketing agency or that's your focus. You got into business to provide the service or the products in the best possible way and create a best the best experience for your customers and also for your team. So realizing that and then finding those people that can help you along the way is huge. And you've built companies and teams from the ground up in, in various businesses and in different industries. And culture is a big part of that, I'm sure. How do you look at establishing a culture in your companies, especially one that 
you know, authentically represents you and, and your values? Culture is an interesting one. <clears throat> so we just did a, um, a week-long convention for a company called Core Health and Fitness. And uh, they're, a, they, you know, they're a few hundred million dollars a year company, pretty big, you have factories all over the world, you know, a lot, lot of stuff going on. They, yep. own, they own Star Trek, the fitness brand. They own Nautilus. They own Schwinn. Yeah, big names. They, yeah, huge names. Every, even if you're not in the fitness industry, you know those names. Right. And and they're the parent company for all of those things. So they invited me down to lead some talks and things for them during their their first global meeting since prior to COVID. Right. So they've I mean, there were teams from Asia, the Middle East, I mean, from all over the world coming together for this. And they did a culture talk and the guy who did it did a great job. Um, he's there. He's the VP of sales for uh, for the Americas. And he did a great job. His first time ever doing a, a talk like that. Wow. And, but he did great. And so one of the things, you know, he came up to me afterwards and asked me what I thought. Um, and I asked him, I said, look, here, here's the first thing you have to talk about when you, when you want to build a real culture. It can't start with all the fluffy, you know, you know motivational quotes and, and all of that, because those things apply to everybody right? Your favorite mot motivational quote applies to everybody. So what, how, do, how is it uniquely applied to you? Or better question is how do you, how does your company uniquely apply to it? Mm -hmm. Right. And so what I asked him is I said, for a company like his who manufactures equipment, sells equipment, does education on the equipment and works in the fitness space and with gyms. So I asked him, I said, what are you guys? Are you guys an equipment company, a sales company, a manufacturing company, or a fitness company? And he, no one had an answer. Yeah. Of course, the sales guys are like, we're a fucking sales company, right? <laughs> but you know, that, <laughs> you know that's what the sales guys are going to say no matter what, right? Yeah. And because that's that's why they're sales guys. And and that was their answer. But I, I you know, to peel it back a bit for them, I said that uh, the best sales guy would have said all of them. Mm. Because what when you're going to build a culture and you do a lot of things like that, it becomes difficult. But if you can actually separate them out, compartmentalize them for a minute and say, when I'm talking to the maintenance guy at a gym, I'm an equipment company, right? When I'm talking to the trainers at the gym, totally a fitness company. Yeah. When I'm talking to the buyer, sales all day. Right. So what I was hoping a lot of them would say, well, we're all of those things when it's applicable to the audience that's in front of us. And no one had that answer. So for me, culture is starts with understanding the deliverable of your business. And if there are multiple deliverables, then understand them all and how to apply them all. Once mm -hmm. you get that done and everybody on the team understands that, then we can start to talk about how we become a team to universally accomplish all of those things. When I started with uh, uh, Leisure Sports, at the time, you know, it was one of the top revenue generating fitness companies in the world. And we took them much, much higher while I was there. The issue there with culture was that <clears throat> everything was siloed. Yeah. yeah the membership department, group fitness, the restaurant, the personal trainers, everything was siloed. And there was a lot of like misplaced kind of almost animosity between the two. 
because of a lack of understanding or between all of them because of a lack of understanding. So what I did is I went in and I said, okay, well, all the membership salespeople are going to get certified as personal trainers. All of the personal trainers are going to get certified as group X instructors and vice versa. Everybody in the cafes is going to learn some nutrition. And I made everybody and all of the, the everybody had to do a sales training. Nice. And so Brilliant. everybody became aware of the challenges of each person's position. And when we did that, the culture in the company drastically changed and so did the revenue. Mm-hmm. Because now if I'm on the, if I'm a, a membership person, PTs, this thing that I probably maybe have never used, maybe have, who knows, but at least now I understand how much work goes into being a personal trainer and being good at it. And for the personal trainers who thought, well, they're just get, they should just be giving me business, right? Yeah. You get to sit in front of every client. Why aren't you giving me business? Well, now they had to go learn how hard it is to sell something. Um, especially when somebody came in and said, all I want is a membership, right? And the, the place that I'm talking about, the memberships averaged like $180 a month minimums and went up from there. So it's not, it's, you know, not a small set. You're getting a, a, a rather long commitment on the contracts and sales. And now the personal trainer is like, well, you should just be selling personal training too. Like it's that easy. <laughs> but then when they actually had to go through a sales process, they're like, oh shit, okay, I get it now. And, and that to me was a major culture shift um, and revenue generator for that company. For me personally, culture comes from the owners being involved um, and understanding the, the ups and downs and, and challenges of each person's role that they hire and being on the ground with them as much as possible. Um, that to me develops an ownership mentality and an ownership mentality for, for, for any business is really where you need to be because then people will treat it as their own um, and and they will want to see it thrive. Um, I think a big piece of that is transparency for the better or the worse. Um, If we're making a ton of money, tell them. If we're not, tell them. Um, If one department is shining and another isn't, everybody needs to know. And that, 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 you know, part of the accountability process to me um, is critical for anybody who's going to develop a culture within their business. There's a guy, I'll close with this. Um, there's a guy named Blair McKinney. Um, he would be really good for you to follow. He is uh, one of the founders of Medallia. And Medallia is a customer service and company culture company uh, that runs things for Mercedes, for BMW, for Cisco, for Oracle. Like they're- but the giants. They're the giants. Well, this guy, Blair, also owns gyms. And so I got to sit down with Blair and he gave to me his company culture guidelines. And this is a guy who writes company culture guidelines for the biggest companies on the planet. And, and what he laid out in there was a very thorough description of mission statement and how the mission statement is applicable, which a lot of people miss. They'll write a mission statement that sounds really fucking cool on paper, but how do I go do it? Yeah. You know, like, what does that even actually mean? What does it mean in practice? How do we know we're achieving our mission? They'll read a Brian Tracy book and now they know culture, right? And and that might lend to you at some point knowing culture, but it is not the only piece to the puzzle. And so he does this incredible job of of teaching um, the 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 why the teaching the process to develop the mission statement rather than developing a mission statement and then having a process come from it. 
And to me, that has been like historically incredible to, to start on the other end. Here's what we do. Here's what we want to deliver. Here's our services, our price, our everything laid out in front of everybody. And now from reading all of that, we're going to develop a mission statement and our core values for our company. And any company that doesn't have those two things really has not even scratched the surface on developing culture and climate for, for their business. There's a, um, the company that I was just down there with for core health and fitness, their core values are awesome. Like I, they're so good. And one of them is my favorite ones is uh, speak up. And the way that they explain that in a little sentence below it is they say to speak up on all things with respect and all of that, but everything needs to be talked about. Nothing gets left unsaid. And the, I, that to me, I bring that one up because it's something that is missing from our lives these days is the ability to have candid, honest, difficult discussions um, without retribution or repercussion. Yeah. And now don't get me wrong. If you say some stuff that, 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 you know, needs to be said and it hurts people's feelings, that's not the type of repercussions I'm talking about. There are a lot of times where your feelings kind of need to be hurt. And, and the truth is the kindest thing that you can say to somebody. And, and, you know, obviously there are deliveries that matter, yeah, and absolutely. The, you know, but at the end of the day, the kindest thing is, is the truth. Is the truth. hundred percent. You can't, can't beat around the bush if you want to solve problems and, and create success. That, that to me, TJ, that that's where the culture starts and ends. People have need to be an ownership mentality gives them the, the security and idea that they could talk about how they feel. Um, and it's not going to hurt them, you know, unless, yeah. unless it should, <laughs> but yeah, some, sometimes <clears throat> the truth hurts, right? You know, that's part of it. So the culture thing for me is is probably one of the things that was hardest to break and learn because when I was a kid, I worked for a guy whose culture was <clears throat> we're going to work ourselves to death yeah. and we're gonna we're gonna give a high five and a hug and a bonus at the end, and that's the end of it. You know, and that's because that's how he was raised. And so going into bigger business and with different personalities and and, you know, people from all different walks of life, I had to unlearn, or I shouldn't say unlearn, I had to learn how to re-deliver his work ethic style, right? Yeah. And, and I, I learned that lesson very quickly in my first corporate job when I got called into HR. They said, you can't say that. <laughs> so I, I had to re, you know, reevaluate how to deliver um, what I knew worked. And, and that kind of speaks to the idea of, um, really diving in internally and, you know, self-reflection about, you can't just say it, how it matters to you, you know, and, and you got to know your audience. Yeah. You really, really, really got to know the audience. So to me, that that's, that's the, the heart and soul of it, man. If you can build your deliverables, build a mission statement, build some, some core values and build a safe environment for your people to tell the truth, no matter what, then, then you are off on the right foot. Yeah. I love it. I think anybody that's serious about building culture would do well to listen to this whole part of the podcast again, as I know I will. And as we move to wrap up with the culture piece, you know, once you have that for people who are looking to grow their teams, like, what do you look for when you're hiring people? Do you have any rules or, or protocols you use to evaluate people and really determine if they're the right fit for the role, but also a right fit for the culture and are going to be those types that, that speak up and, you know, 
follow the core values of the company? Yes, we we have a few things that we do, and they used to be um, amazing and easy, and it didn't yeah. cost as much. Now they're expensive. Um, and what I mean is we used to bring coaches in who wanted to work for us and we would require 60 to 70 hours of shadowing and work. Okay. And in that shadowing, they were required to be taking notes. And I wanted to see those notes. You couldn't just be in the room. I was going to read, I would read their notes and I would quiz them back. Like, this is what you saw. When did you see it? And what did you think about it? Like really diving in so all of that did a lot of things for us. It showed me that you're willing to put in the work, number one. And back then, you could call it an apprenticeship. You could call it an internship. You could call it whatever you want, but you didn't have to pay them for it. See, now they've taken that away from small business and business in general and said, no, you have to pay everybody for every second that they mm -hmm. put something in. And so what you lose is you lose their total, the, the expression of their total buy-in, yeah. right? And, and their work ethic because they're getting fucking paid. So you, you're automatically missing a little bit of what am I willing to invest? Because what you can't have is somebody who says, I showed up at the meeting at 7.02. I left the meeting at 8.06. And so I was there for an hour and four minutes. How are you going to prorate my four minutes? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, you can't build business that way. Yeah. <clears throat> and unless you're, you know, unless you're a giant already, and then those kinds of things you don't even really know about. But in small business, um, you know, in the, in the 50 to hundred employee range, maybe tops, you can't, you can't survive that way. You won't survive if people are going to nickel and dime every second that they invest in the business. And for me, we still do it. People are still required to come in. Oregon's a little more lenient actually than California on internships and shadowing and things like that. Um, if it's, if it's a two-way agreement that this is what you have to put in to get in, yeah. Then as in my opinion, as it should be, that's okay. To adults agree on something and sign a paper on it, we should be able to deliver what we want to deliver. Yeah. And in Oregon, you, you can kind of still do that. So what we do is we put people through that. It's very rigorous. Um, we, we make sure that they come in and they study with us. We, we put them through our own education criteria. So they have to put a little financial investment in there too. We'll usually cover some of that for them, um, but they've got to put some, get some skin in the game. They got to show us I'm willing to invest in my continuing education today and forever because, you know, what, no matter what industry you're in, it's always changing. We've never, we've never been a part of any industry and we've been a part of quite a few where they, they remain the same. They're just not the same. Um, I, th I think the only, the only company that's gotten away with that is, is in and out you know, the <laughs> hamburger company. They're the yep. only one the menu has been the fucking same. Timeless burger. <laughs> you get fries, a burger and a shake and, and get out of here. You know, yeah. do you want two pieces of cheese or one? That's really, that's kind of it. And, but outside of them, it's hard to really imagine any company in any industry that hasn't had to evolve and change and grow. And so if I, if you're going to work for me, I need to know that you're going to be willing to invest in that new education and learning and evolution um, as, as our industry changes. So we require education up front. We require them to put some money in on that. We require them to shadow and learn and develop. Uh, we do also encourage them. It's not a requirement, but we encourage them to go take workouts at other studios, see yeah. what the coaching is like uh, so that they have something to compare to. Um, there's, there's a lot of layers in there, but at the end of the day, what we're really looking for is for you to show me that you're dedicated. Um, and that's all that really matters to me. I don't care if you're teaching two classes a week on the schedule. We don't have anybody that does that, but if, if I did, 
I would still expect the same from you. And on that note, the requirements, in my opinion, for people who are looking to go into business or managing their own businesses, those requirements need to be universal. You, it, and they have to be 100% executed across the board for every single person. Otherwise, your culture really goes to shit. You know, people yeah. think, oh, they didn't have to do that. So they're not, you know, they're either favored because they didn't have to do it or they're not as good as me because they didn't have to do it, depending on the person, right? They see it's yeah. one of two ways but it's never good. So a universal uh, implementation of onboarding and expectations is key for us. And it's worked out well. We've typically, you know, got people that are willing to come in and go above and beyond. They spend extra time with members. They teach, they learn uh, with each one of those members. They're willing to be, you know, do the dirty work. Uh, cleaning, for example, we have a lot of coaches uh, in the past who would come in and it's like, yeah, you got to clean. And they is if you have any opposition to that, you're not on our team. Yeah, it's an easy, easy way to weed people out. For a sure. real, real, real easy one. Yeah. We're but, we're a team here and we we do what needs to get done. You know, today it's me cleaning the floors, tomorrow it's gonna be the boss, but somebody's gotta do it. And if you got the time, you gotta the step work. in. Exactly. Nobody's above the dirty work, man. No, I love it. And I think you know, with that process, you're you're weeding out any potential bad candidates almost immediately you're only going to have the excellence left at the end of the day. People that are really bought in either because they love the culture, they love what they see, and they see this as a place where they can really thrive and provide a lot of value in the role. Or, you know, they're they're just willing to invest in themselves and, and find this opportunity where, hey, I'm not only going after employment, but look at all of this really tangible, valuable training I'm going to get even before they hire me. Like to a lot of people that could be a benefit in and of itself if they don't get the job. So I love that. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't see your continuing education as a value add, you're definitely not one of us. Yeah. I watched my dad take guys who would come on to into his company, you know, been a journeyman electrician for blah, 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 blah. I know how to do everything fastest at this and that and the other thing. And they would walk on the job and my dad would hand him a fucking shovel. Yeah. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, yeah, okay, you're the journeyman. You did all these wonderful things, but I don't know you. Yeah. Are you humble? Yeah. yeah. Are you and willing to do the work? You're going to go out there and you're going to dig the ditch. And the guy that you think should be digging the ditch is going to come to lunch with me. And and when we get back, we're going to see how your attitude is. And if your attitude is such that you're happy that he got to go to lunch today uh, and have a nice sit-down lunch because he's the guy that's usually on that shovel, if you have that, if you have that for him, you could be on the team. If you're resentful, get the fuck out. Yeah. Attitude of gratitude is so important. So as we move to close things up here, this has been so value packed. We could probably keep going for another hour, but I have a choose your own adventure question for you. So you can pick which one you'd like to answer or or both if you so desire, but what's either your favorite place you visited in the last five years, or what is a, a recent adventure or just a memorable adventure that you've embarked on and in either case you know tell us about it what was it like what what made it so memorable you know what was your favorite moment anything that that really stands out to you so i will um you said within five years so it matches perfectly my son is five years old uh we own a company called the endeavor team challenge and it's a multi-sport multi multi-disciplinary uh multi sorry multiply this multiple discipline that's a, that's hard, a hard word, word. <laughs> that is. multiple disciplinary uh, so it a it it covers ground of 60 plus miles it has swimming kayaking 
orienteering, racing through the night, orienteering at night, rock climbing, a bunch of straight challenges, has a couple like full-blown CrossFit style events in the middle of it. Uh, just it's, it's built by um, two Army Ranger instructors who collectively have like 100 battle tours between them um, overseas. So just some real tough You guys. know it's intense just based on that. It is an incredible event. Yeah. Uh, we bought the company two years ago, but when this story happened, we we were participants. Um, and so I go up and probably in the best shape of my life at that time, this is five years ago, um, we go up to the event and my wife is nine months pregnant and she is um, not supposed to be far from a hospital. You know, she has to have a, a C-section for delivery. So you got to have an operating room. Mm -hmm. So the race is about three hours away from society in the mountains where there's no cell coverage or anything else. And so we're up there running the race. She was supposed to stay home. We're coming, running in. I can't remember what we finished. We finished in the top five um, that year. And we're coming in a dead sprint into the finish line. And this is about 40 hours of racing behind us. And I come running across the finish line in the best uh, place that I've ever finished the event in. And there she is. And I go up. I'm like, first of all, I'm like, what the hell are you doing here? So I give her a hug and her water breaks. And so. You make this up. No, her water breaks at the finish line. And so we scramble, right? One of our friends yeah. is there. A bunch of our friends are there. One of them runs and grabs our car. We jump in the car. And I'm literally 60 miles of racing, 40 plus hours of racing shoved into the front seat of the car. And we start down the highway and the highway is very windy and we're, I'm trying to get um, police or somebody on the phone. And I finally get them on the phone and they tell us to go to a helipad and they're going to fly up met a, a helicopter to pick her up. So we're driving down the highway and randomly there's an ambulance. And the ambulance had been called up for another uh, vehicle crash, but didn't wasn't needed. Okay. So they're parked in a in this turnout, and I see him, and my buddy who's driving slides off into the thing to pick them up, or to talk to them. And he comes running over, and he looks at me, and he's like, "Are you okay?" So I'm all cramped up. Yeah, I'm like, "No, <laughs> it's her." Not, not at all. It's her actually. And he looks back there, and he's like, "Oh shit." She's like, yeah, I'm in labor. So she, they pull her out of the car. They put her in the ambulance. They put me in the front seat of the ambulance, which was worse than being in the front seat of the car. Oh, no. um, and some funny side notes, like my buddies that were following us are like bringing me food and stuff. And like, here, Dennis, are you okay? My wife's in the back in full-blown labor. And they're, they're like, Dennis, are you okay? And she's like, screw you guys. Yeah, He's I'm having a baby over here. <laughs> He's got cramps in He's his He's cramping up. Give him a banana and come help me. Yeah. So it was pretty funny. So they, oh they stream out of there with us. They get us to a hospital, which we didn't know was in the area um, with all of the medical places that we had found when we were looking were uh, veterinary clinics. It's a lot of, you know, ranches and stuff up there. Yeah, so yeah, they, up there. they take us to this hospital and we're like, I wonder where we ended up. Right. So we have no idea where we are. We're in a place called Sonora. Um, they wheel her in within 20 minutes, 30 minutes of being at that hospital. They pull her in, they get the doctor, they're in surgery and happily delivered baby funny story the doctor comes walking in and he's got like handlebar mustache it's all like kind of off to the side he's got a shaved head he looks like he was in a bar fight the night before yeah and, right. and so my wife's like have have you ever done this before like what you do these c-sections a lot and he's like yeah and he kind of laughs a little bit 
So he does the surgery and we find out later that he, um, he comes in, you know, the next day to see us and he's in a suit and all yeah. done up. We find out later it's the fifth ranked birthing hospital in the country <laughs> because of him. Wow. And he was on his way out to go speak at a convention about doing these things as like the keynote speaker. So <laughs> it's like, this guy's amazing. We landed Dumb in luck. the hospital. I end up in the ER on breathing treatments, get diagnosed with um, high intensity induced asthma. I got all these this, like steroid breathing treatment. I'm in the ER longer than she was to have the baby. And, you know, we end up spending quite a, I think we were there for five or six days or something um, at the hospital, the whole stay, but it was quite the adventure. We had everybody uh, from the race that were friends of ours come down and, you know, spend a little bit of time with us at the hospital um, but yeah, she went into labor at the finish line of a company that we now own. And re we returned the following year with, uh, we we called him the Endeavor Baby. And Love we it. brought him back the next year and competed again. Um, but yeah, that that that's probably the most tangible, real adventure story for people out there. Because, you know, it involves our family. It involves uh, some mm -hmm. really intense activity and exercise, and we ended up buying the company. So it's a yeah, very cool story. And you know, the friends and the community were there to witness and and celebrate. So I mean, that we we asked this question, I asked this question to every guest, and we've had some incredible stories. But that for sure, so far anyway, is going to hold the record because that is an incredible story and just yep. just ties it all together perfectly well so i think we'll we'll wrap up there dennis and as we do where can people find and support you online websites social things like yeah, that anything ahead. you want to plug i think the the best thing is probably yardfitben.com um on there it talks about most of what we do uh we just loaded up a we're, we're taking a group of people to guatemala uh for a fitness and wellness retreat this june um, we're only taking 10 people, so it's, it's going to be a pretty amazing adventure. Um, it's all inclusive and just, you know, doing everything from scuba diving to zip lining and hiking. Uh, we have a master yoga instructor we have an in-house chef. I mean, just really, really incredible bucket list type experience that we've just added to kind of our repertoire of things. Awesome. Um, so that's on there. But yeah, I would say on social, just the Yard Fit Bend or Get Coached are, are two um, social media platforms that are out there. Um, yeah. And everybody, anybody who's local to, to our studio, you know, we have a um, free week for anybody who wants to come in and try it out and see what we do um, and see if it's a good fit for them. Yeah. And that's anybody in Bend, Oregon. I know I'm going to be taking them up on that offer. So one, one more question, you're doing that retreat in June in Guatemala. Do you have others planned for, for later on in the year or, or next year? Yeah, I think we'll probably do one January of next year. Okay. Uh, so awesome. we'll probably do two. So we have, um, I would be remiss also not to mention Endeavor Team Challenge. Yeah. Uh, if you go to EndeavorTeamChallenge.com, um, you will see our event. That's in the end of July in Big Bear, California. Um, and that's a that's a race that's done in teams. So you have to have yourself and a crazy friend yep. to go do it with you. Uh, when we have, we have teams that do that, that are male, female, female, female mixed, and, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, all different fitness levels go out and give it a, give it, you know, their best, but that's, that's in the end of July. And then, um, Guatemala is the 17th or 18th of June to the 28th. 
Um, And then I believe we'll run another one uh, in January of next year, um, probably in the same place. And then we'll start moving them around. So we have a ranch uh, that we can do wellness retreats on in Big Bear as well that that we're very excited about. Um, So yeah, our goal is to get to at least three or four of those events a year. Awesome. I mean, those types of events are are truly transformational. So we'll definitely drop links to everything, but I want to get the link to, to those retreats as well for people that might be interested that are listening. And Dennis, appreciate you, man. This has been an incredible conversation. I appreciate you sharing your story, you know, the lessons that you've learned along the way. There's so many great takeaways here. So we may have to, to even come back and do a second episode sometimes because there's a lot more to unpack, I'm sure. Absolutely, man. I look forward to it and I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. Appreciate you. All right, brother. Thank you. To all of our adventurous listeners, thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Please be sure to subscribe, download, and share this on social media or with someone you know will get some value from it. Leaving a review goes a long way in helping people find the show. And I personally appreciate reading them when they come in. So please go drop one if you have the time. We'll see you all next week. And remember, whether we're talking about business or the things that bring us joy outside of work, life is meant for exploring. So go out there and live it one adventure at a time.